Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today at Word of Life. We know summer is busy with traveling and all things fun, but we have good news for you. You can stay in church even while on vacation through our online campus. You can watch live on Sundays at 10 and 1130 and get fed throughout the week with inspiring articles, message series, and so much more at thelifeonline.cc. Thank you for listening and enjoy the message. I'm so thrilled at what the Lord is doing uh, through our Fondren campus. Uh, You know, many things uh, we prayed about and prayed for this campus. But one of the things that the Lord spoke to our heart, and I didn't see it being fulfilled this way, and this is often how, (laughs) you know, these things work. The Lord will speak something to your heart, and it's like, well, I didn't see that. I actually was thinking more like this. But one of the things that the the Lord said is that this campus would be like a garden uh, and that it would feed many. And um, for some reason, this thought never crossed my mind uh, that this would be part of the fulfillment of that word. Uh, is since we've launched this service, um, it's another podcast, of course, but our podcast downloads have gone through the roof uh, of people uh, who are listening um, to this. Um, And so that's awesome. And so I'm thankful for everyone who's in the room, uh, but this is also an avenue uh, that many people are being blessed by through podcasts and things of that nature. So wherever you're listening from, uh, we're glad to have you. Amen. Let's give it up. They can hear you clap. Yes. We are glad to have you at the 6, 6 p.m. service, the Word of Life Fondren. Amen. Open up your Bibles, if you brought them tonight, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, while you're turning Wednesday night at our Highland Colony campus, we have revival night. And um, that's always fun. Uh, and so if you've never been to that, come on, Wednesday night, it's at 7 o'clock at our Highland Colony campus. If you've never been there, that's right by Costco. Uh, it's the big white building by Costco is how we can explain it now. Um, a couple of weeks ago, well, really a couple of months ago now, I was driving with my kids um, from the gym back home for them to get ready for school. And I always make them, well, make, I guess make them, <laughs> uh, read a chapter of Scripture. And I tell them I like hearing them read Scripture. And then after they read it, I ask them for, you know, what they learn, do you have any questions, all those other kinds of things. And I had read as my devotional the day before, Proverbs 6, uh, and I really wanted them to talk about the ant. Uh, because the Bible says, study the ant, and I did that. I studied the ant. And uh, anyway, there was a bunch of stuff about the ant with consistency and not carrying it a lot, but just carrying it every day and through little action every day, it equals something big and was just going to take that a lot of different ways, you know, like big doors open on little hinges and talking about the importance of excellence every day and just already had my spill of where I wanted to take it. But of course, uh, I wanted them to take it in that direction and not force feed uh, a lesson. Uh, So I opened it up before I opened up of like, what'd you get from that? So uh, I made them read the whole passage of Proverbs 6 to me. uh, And this was actually Boston uh, who read Proverbs 6 this day. Uh, And we'll start in verse 6. We'll not read the whole chapter. 
and we'll go all the way down to verse 15. Uh, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? There's a lot to be said just by working hard. I'm telling you, it seems, well, never mind. But there's just a lot to be said about working hard. Um, Anyway, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Now, that's what I wanted them to talk about, but of course, we read the whole chapter. So let's read the the next part. A worthless person, a wicked man, is he who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, uh, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly, he will be broken and there will be no healing. Wow. So it keeps going. And anyway, when it's done, I'm like, so what y'all get out of that? What do you want to talk about? Knowing I wanted to talk about the ant and that type of thing. And immediately my daughter spoke up and she said, you know how we believe God's like a good God. I'm like, yep. Uh, How God is like good and he's merciful and a father. Yep. And she said, what about him like breaking people with there being no remedy? (laughs) Where does that fall into the equation? I'm like, of course you would ask that question because my daughter always asks me the hard questions. And I tremendously appreciate that about her. Uh, And so it led to a lesson that was obviously long, uh, and we sat in the car, and I'm like, okay, like, let me explain A, B, and C. Uh, But in our study of Moses, yes, we are back to Moses. Uh, In our study of Moses, one of the things that we see are the plagues that God sent into Egypt. And uh, when you look at those plagues, especially the death of the firstborn, If you looked at that from surface nature, you would think like, what is this about God? And did the God of the Old Testament just suddenly change when we get to the New Testament Uh, and that type of thing? And a lot of people are completely uneducated uh, about subjects like this. And a lot of times pastors are completely unwilling uh, to even talk about subjects like this. But we need to understand the nature of God. And this is what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, the God of judgment, and what that means for you and what that means for me. Uh, Our God does sit sit on a mercy seat, but he also sits on a judgment seat. Our God is a heavenly father, but he also is a righteous judge, and it's actually a part of his fatherhood, and we'll talk about more about that. But with all these things in mind, let's go over the book of Jeremiah. Uh, So we're in Proverbs. That's the origin of how this message started. Go to Jeremiah and let's look at chapter 9 and verse number 23. This verse often gets quoted, but many people leave out the whole verse. Uh, And let's not do that. Let's look at the the whole thing. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Now, let's just stop right there. Um, If I was to ask you what you want to be known for, what would it be? 
uh, well, I want to be known as a preacher, or I want to be known as a mom, or I want to be known as a, you know, a hard worker, or I want to be known as blank, 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 blank. Here, the instruction from the Lord God, the Lord God says through the prophet Jeremiah, um, that if any man is to boast, or any man is to glory, or any man is to be known for something, let not it be for strength, let not it be for her wisdom. Let not it be for her money or her resources or her family. He says, if, if you are known for anything, be a person who when people look at you say, they know the Lord. And this ought to be what we're, we're chasing and, and what we're, we're seeking for is that we are people who walk intimately with the Lord Jesus, that the communion of the Holy Spirit is with us all, that God is not just someone we serve, God is someone we know. Come on, church. Come on, chef, I, you know, Fondren campus, Sunday night, right? Uh, this is what you ought to be famous for. Your friends ought to know you know the Lord. Amen. They, they ought to be certain things they don't even want to joke about in front of you. Because you've got a reputation. You walk with the Lord Jesus, and not in a judging way, like you would judge him or condemn him for it, because if you would, you don't know the Lord. Uh, but uh, in this sense of, um, it just doesn't entertain you. There's just not, not a place for it in you. You know him, and you don't want to grieve him. Amen. So this is what he says we ought to be known for. But watch specifically what he says, that he knows and understands me. Well, what is it that I'm supposed to understand? That I am the Lord God who exercises, this is the part that doesn't get quoted, that exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness where? In the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Well, what does he delight in? Number one, he says, I delight in loving kindness. Number two, he says, I delight in justice. Number three, he says, I delight in righteousness. Now, righteousness is right standing with God. It's the ability to stand in God's presence without any sense of guilt or inferiority. Uh, and you can do that now through the blood of Jesus. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. Uh, and out of that boldness, you can stand righteous before the, the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus. But notice, he says, I, I'm wanting you to understand that I, I value loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. Now, many Christians today have a strong concept of the loving kindness of God, and thankfully, a lot of Christians today have a concept of the, the righteousness and what it means to have right standing with God and how Jesus paved the way for that. But still, there's a lot of people who have forgotten all about a God of justice. Now, all throughout the world, and I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I think it a good bit, it's like, will somebody do something like when you see the world and you see its poverty or you see its brokenness or you see like all the things that happen in our world uh, and not just in the United States, but locally and also globally, like we look at all these things and it's like, will somebody intervene or those um, uh, certain people may look at it and say, well, why won't God do something? 
like come in and do something. And I, I love that song where it's like, God do something. It's like, well, I did. I made you. And there's a, a valid point to that. You are the hands and feet of Jesus and you are to take the body of Christ somewhere to help people. So that's uh, good. But also I think God would respond back to that and say, I did. And that's what you see literally all throughout the Old Testament is God did something. And what God did, and this is still in the the earth today, we'll look at it through scripture, don't worry. What God did is he created a system that is undeniable by anyone. I don't care who you are, you can't opt out of this. You're in it every day of your life as long as you're on this earth. And it's um, the process or the system of seed, time, and harvest. As long as the earth remains. In fact, let's go over there and look at it. Uh, Don't let me just quote it. Uh, Genesis chapter 8. Let's go look at it. Genesis 8. And I want to say it's verse 22. Yes. Genesis 8 and verse 22. While the earth remains. So we still in the earth today? Yes. While the earth remains. Seed, time, and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, these things shall not cease. Uh, So he says, as long as the earth is here, you're going to have day and night, you're going to have seasons, you're going to have seed, time, and harvest. Now, I broke that, that word seed time up for a reason, but I think if you understand anything about how agricultural works... Uh, you understand that when you sow a watermelon seed, you don't just get a harvest of watermelons within 30 seconds. Am I right? You sow the seed, and then what do you have? Time. And if you're patient and you wait it out over the span of time, if you don't uproot the seed, what are you going to get? If it's watered and it's taken care of and it stays in the ground, what are you going to get? You sow watermelon seed. You're going to get watermelons. Thank you. I appreciate the talk back. That helps. Uh, So out of that, the seed is sown, then you have time, and then the judgment of the seed is watermelon. Uh, When harvest time comes, it's a revelation of the seed that is sown. And it's not uh, the season that is good or bad. Uh, It's a revelation if the seed is good or bad. Uh, When harvest time comes, it's not bad. What it reveals is the seed that is sown. And if the seed that was sown was good seed, harvest time is great. But if the seed that was sown is bad, if it stays in the ground, if it's watered in the ground, when harvest time comes, it will reveal the bad seed. And you will eat the fruit of what you sowed. And this system has been in the earth. And this is what you see. It's still in the earth. This is what you see literally all throughout the world. God, why don't you do something? I did. Well, what'd you do? I invented a system. What system? Seed time and harvest. You sow a seed. It is only a matter of time before you eat of the seeds you sowed. Now, God, and we said this a couple of weeks ago on Invite Weekend, God's first mercy is the time. How many of you are thankful there is time in between when you sow and when you reap? 
Sometimes if you're sowing good seed, time can be, ugh. Like, it's like God any minute now would be fantastic. Uh, you know, I've sowed good seed, let me reap a good harvest. But the time is actually God's first mercy. God waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He is patient and he is slow to anger. Um, and time is his first mercy. When you sow a seed uh, in the earth, it does not reap immediately a harvest because it is God's mercy protecting you from that seed and giving you time to get it out of your ground. And if you don't get it out of your ground, in a matter of time, it will reap a harvest. And when it does harvest, you will eat whatever you sowed. And this is because God is a God of justice. In the Old Testament, you see this. First, first sin, God comes to Adam. He's like, don't do it. 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 And what does man do? He does it anyway. He eats of the, the apple. And God tells him, when you eat of the apple, or whatever it was, we don't really know if it's an apple. It's just an easy go-to, so we'll just stick with it. He eats of the apple, and immediately God tells him, like, like you ate of the apple. Um, and he, he tells them, like, what did I tell you when you would eat of the apple? Well, death would come in. And we see immediately uh, Adam lose this glorified body. He's aware of a, a natural human body now. The glory of the Lord lifts from him, and the death process begins. And ever since that day, the death process has begun for us all because of that one act of disobedience. That seed produced a harvest. And the harvest was death. Now, he should have died immediately. But God created a system called sacrifice where one could die or pay the price for your bad seed in your stead. And out of this, it required something to die. It wasn't enough to string up some leaves uh, and cover it. Uh, God came in with a sacrifice and offered it up. And it died in its stead. Now, there are many examples all the way through this, from Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? Cain is upset because God has accepted Abel's sacrifice, and he has not accepted Cain's. Cain gets very upset about this, and God comes to him and warns him. And any time you're getting ready to sow some bad seed, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he will warn you. You don't want to do that. You don't want to sow that. You don't want to go in that. You don't want to say that. Uh, he'll try to stop you. And so he comes to Cain and he's like, Cain, if you would have done well, it would be well. You didn't do well. All you got to do is go do well. And the, the, the Bible kind of gives the implication. We don't know for sure, but it kind of hints at this, uh, that when Abel brought his sacrifice, he brought the first and the best. But when Cain brought his, he brought it in the process of time. He's like, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. And with God, it's not just about the sacrifice. It's about the priority of the sacrifice. It's about giving him our first and our best. Anyway, uh, Cain doesn't do this. And so God doesn't accept his sacrifice, but he accepts Abel's and Cain's pouting about it. And he comes to, to Cain and he tells him, that heaviness, this is my paraphrase, that heaviness will turn into darkness if you don't deal with it. 
And I'm telling you, that word has been on my heart for over a year now. If you allow heaviness to get on your life and you do not deal with it, that heaviness will turn into darkness every single time. I don't care if that heaviness is a loss of a loved one. I don't care if that heaviness is someone who, who abandoned you or forsook you. I don't care if that heaviness is because someone wounded you, hurt you, walked out on you, gossiped about you, disappointed you, talked bad about you, whatever it may be. If that hurts your heart and you do not deal with that heaviness, that heaviness will turn into darkness every single time. And you know what you'll do? You'll start sowing bad seed. And out of that bad seed, sooner or later, you will reap a bad harvest if you do not deal with it. And he comes to Cain and he's like, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. Do not go through with what you're thinking about. And so he gets all these warnings and God does this all the time. In the New Testament, it's Judas. Judas, God's been so patient with Judas. He comes to Judas, he knows he's stealing from him. He knows he's stealing from him. Jesus knows he is stealing from him. The whole time he's been a disciple, he's literally stealing from Jesus. And Jesus knows, he washes his feet anyway. He shows him kindness and love anyway. He keeps him on the team anyway. And get this, miracles were happening out of Judas's life with that stuff still in his life. Judas was part of the people that Jesus laid hands on and gave authority to with, with all this stuff still in his life. And literally all the way up to the point of Judas's betrayal for, for, you know, selling Jesus for silver. He's like, you know, whoever I dip my bread in their cup is the one who will betray me. And he comes up to Judas and he starts dipping the bread in the cup. And he's like, is it me? It's like, I just told you I'm dipping the bread in the cup. Like I told you, whoever would betray me, this is what I would do. And he has all of these warnings. He has all of these checks. Don't do it. 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 And he does it anyway. And Cain comes through with this. And so what happens? He kills Abel. In a fit of anger and rage, he kills Abel. And Abel's blood gets on the ground. What was the harvest from that seed? The ground was tough for Cain. For the rest of his life, everywhere he went, the ground would mock him. It would be hard from him. And by the sweat of his brow, he would barely be able to scratch by. And Cain said, this is much too difficult for me, Lord. What was it? Justice. He's a God of justice. I'm a God of loving kindness. I'm a God of righteousness. And I'm a God of justice. And for that, it was justice for Abel's blood that spilled upon that ground. The seed that he sowed was the harvest that he reaped. Now, all throughout Scripture, you're going to see this. You see Eli and his sons in 1 Samuel. God calls them, establishes them. It's a family. Eli's sons go crazy. I mean, literally, go crazy. Uh, They're here doing anything they want in the temple, treating everybody any way they want to treat them. God comes to them and tells them, stop. They won't stop. God comes to them again. Stop. They won't stop. He comes to Eli. He tells them, get your sons to stop. Like, Eli, get your sons to stop. And I don't even want to talk about what they were doing in the temple. Like, it'd blow your mind what they were doing in the temple. And God comes to Eli, like, through a prophecy. And he's like, get them to stop. 
And Eli comes to his sons and he's like, you know, you guys ought to stop. And I'm hearing like what you're doing. And out of this, God will judge you if you stop doing it, if you don't stop doing it. And this is going to happen and all this kind of stuff. But Eli does not take him out of power. It's within his power. He's the high priest. But he loves his sons more than he loves God. And God comes to Eli. You ought to read your Bible. God comes to Eli. This is 1 Samuel. God comes to Eli. And he says, you have kicked at my sacrifices. And he said, you have honored your sons more than you have honored me. And he said, did I tell you that the priesthood would run through your family? But because you have done this thing, you are no longer fit to be the high priest. And your sons are no longer fit to be in this office. I will raise me up another man. And you know who it was? Samuel. And that's why we have the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel instead of the book of 1st and 2nd Eli. And you know what happened? All, all of them, Eli, all of his sons, all passed away. It was tragic, and it didn't have to happen. It was the harvest of the seed that they sowed. They sowed that seed, they reaped that harvest. It, it's going to get more encouraging, I promise. <laughs> But this is important. And somebody says, oh, why is this important? Because God is merciful, but sin is not. If you play with sin for a long period of time, I don't care who you are, if you pray in tongues or not. You play with sin long enough, it will hurt you because God is merciful, but sin is not. Still, the wages of sin is death. Still, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. Still, even under the New Testament. We cannot play with these things. And when God deals with our heart, we have to make changes, not excuses. When God is coming to us and confronting us with his spirit and through messages and through all these things, we must make changes and not excuses. What did Jesus say? Do not tempt the Lord your God. What is, I'm not going to throw myself off this mountain and and be like, God, catch me. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, And tempt the Lord God. He's like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I can't expect to like just do something incredibly foolish and be like, God saved me. And he will. It's like, no, if I sow bad seed, a harvest will come if I don't upplant it and I will reap. And we see that the world will call it karma or the world will call it whatever they want to call it. All these types of things. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Any of these types of things. But all they're saying is exactly what God said would always be in the earth. Along with summer and winter and day and night. He said you will always have seed, time, and harvest. These things will always be in the earth. It is God's system of justice. So all throughout scripture, you see this. We use the example the other day of uh, Jonah. Jonah comes to Nineveh. The Assyrians have been awful, 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 awful. And God comes and, and raises up Jonah to tell him, like, judgment is coming. You have sowed this seed. You are reaping this harvest. All throughout scripture, we could point to these things. And you're familiar with all of them in the Old Testament. But the example we're using, because we're studying the life of Moses, is uh, the plagues that hit Egypt. Now, I want to look at two, because if we looked at them all, we'd be here all night, and that's, inner, you know, I, I'm willing, um, but out of this, I don't want to push my luck. I want you to come back. Uh, so let's go over to the book of Exodus, uh, and let's just uh, study this real quickly, and then we'll worship, and maybe repent. 
Ah, Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 22. Well, you know what? Let's start in verse 13. Well, 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. This is uh, the Egyptians to the Israelites. They more than multiplied and spread out so that they were a dread of the sons of Israel. They're thinking they're going to outnumber us, basically. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed upon them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named, I'm not going to try, and the other one was named, hmm. (laughs) And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, now watch this, and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you will put him to death. If it is a daughter, she will live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives. Seed, time, harvest. And the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, watch this, saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast him where? Into the river Nile. And every daughter you are to keep alive. And this is where the story of Moses starts. So you see him forcing these mothers. Now, I have two sons, and I cannot imagine this, forcing these mothers to take these babies and throw them where? In the River Nile. They're being forced by Pharaoh to do this out of sheer, I don't even know, evil would be the only term I know for it, to take a baby and to literally throw it in a river Um, So God sees all this, and God is the God of justice. Uh, And so he comes and he raises up Moses. Moses comes to Pharaoh and tells him what? Let God's people go. He has heard their cry. Let them go. But you know what Pharaoh does? He hardens his heart. Now, Hebrews tells you repeatedly, learn from this. Pay attention to this. Um, Pharaoh is the poster child for hardening your heart. And every time God comes to him, Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder and harder and harder. So he won't. He won't let him go. And so out of this, God says, okay, you don't want to get that seed out of the ground. Here comes the harvest. And what was the first plague that hit Egypt? The river Nile turns into what? Blood. Now, why the river Nile? Because that's where the babies were put into it. And so he said, you want to cause death in the Nile? The harvest you will reap is what? 
death from the Nile. And all of a sudden, everything in that Nile died. And I've been, I've actually preached on the Nile. Uh, We're working on setting up a Bible school in Egypt and actually preached on the Nile River. Uh, It was great. It was like a highlight. I'm like, I am on the Nile River. Anyway, uh, so this river is a life source for this whole nation. And now the whole river is completely unusable. Uh, They're not able to get fish from it. All the fish die, you know, all these types of things because it turned into blood. Now, why did it turn into blood? Because God is mean. God is evil. God is like, you know what? Here you go. No, God gave them a harvest of seed that they sowed after he came to them and said, stop. They would not relent. That word's been big on my heart, relent. They would not relent. They would not repent. They would not change. They would not go in a different direction. They kept passing and pushing through. They acted like they weren't being talked to and acted like they did not hear and acted like they did not understand. And they honored, just like Eli, they honored their own life more than they honored God. They honored what they wanted more than what God wanted. They honored what they wanted to do more than what God wanted them to do. And out of this, God is trying to get their attention and get them to relent, to get them to back off, but they're hardening their heart. And even after the Nile turns into blood, do they relent? Nope. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, we see this play out all the way until the final plague. And let's go look at it. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 29. Well... Go to, go to Exodus 7, then we'll go to Exodus 12. Exodus 7, and for the, the sake of the lesson, look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile, and you shall take in your hand the staff it was turned into a serpent, and this is where he turns the, the, the Nile into blood. But notice, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. Uh, go to uh, uh, Exodus 12 now in verse number 29. The final um, plague that hits is the death of the firstborn. And before it happens, God sends Moses to Pharaoh to tell him, let God's people go. He basically says no. And he says, if you don't, the final act will be that the firstborn of every household will die and none will be spared. And Pharaoh will not relent. He will not quit. His heart remains stubborn. And so out of this, the death angel flies over the nation of, of Egypt and everybody has a firstborn child. Whoever it is dies that night. Uh, The Bible literally says there was not a house that did not have weeping. Besides, anybody who had done something, you know what it was? They took the lamb, the blood of the lamb, and they applied the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house. Then they took the lamb and they roasted it. And you know what they did with it after they roasted it? They ate of it. So not only was the blood of the lamb over their home, but the lamb was, um, but the lamb was actually in them. 
Don't make me preach. I will preach if I must. That not only was the blood of the lamb applied over the doorpost, but the lamb was in them. And when the blood was on them and the lamb was in them, the consequence, oh, come on, somebody, passed over them because the lamb paid the price. This is why in the New Testament, when John sees Jesus, what does he say? Behold the what? Behold the lamb that does what? Takes away the sin of the whole world. Because the sacrificial system, all the way going back from Adam, and this is why in the Old Testament they would offer sacrifice, is God would allow something to pay the price for your sin. Sin demands death. You need to understand this. The wages of sin, it is death. The flesh, it is corruption. And out of that, if something is not offered for the price of the flesh and of sin, consequence happens in the life of the person who offers it. But you know what happens when people relinquish? You know what happens when all of Nineveh comes and says, you know what, we see we missed it. You know what? We see we need to change. We see we need to relent. You see the loving kindness of God and say, yep, nope. I will spare you. You see in scripture, even in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Ahab, the Bible says there was none more wicked than Ahab. Literally. When the Bible says there is none more wicked than you, you are wicked. It literally says this, that there was none more wicked than Ahab and his wife. Um, And this couple, um, Ahab and Jezebel, uh, literally murdered people, took their possessions. He had a neighbor right next door to him. He wanted his possessions. He said, sell it to me. He's like, I'm not selling you my father's inheritance. What a lesson of that is for the the, the things of the flesh. I'm not giving you what you want just because you asked for it. I got an inheritance to protect. And he says, you don't want to give it to me? Fine, I'll take it. Well, that's actually not how it happened. He starts crying about it. Ahab starts crying about it. And Jezebel, you ought to read your Bible. I'm telling you, it's fascinating. Jezebel walks in on him crying, and she's like, Pookie, why are you crying? (laughs) Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. What? You're king, baby. You want that vineyard, you take that vineyard. And he does. He goes out there and he takes the, the, uh, the land and steals the inheritance and then kills Naboth. And God, enough. The first mercy of God is the time. But there's a moment where God says, Enough. And he sends the prophet in to go tell him, the same dogs that lick the blood of Naboth will be the same dogs that consume you and your wife. And when Ahab hears this, he falls to the ground and he humbles himself. And the prophet is walking out. And while the prophet is walking out, the Lord stops him and speaks to him. He says, do you see how Ahab humbles himself? He says, you go back to him and you tell him. 
that I will not send this calamity upon his house. It's like, wait, wait a minute. God, like, because before he is known for his justice, he is known for his loving kindness, slow to anger and quick to mercy. This is why you heard me preach it, but this is why Jonah got mad. He's like, I knew you would forgive him. That's why I didn't want to go tell him that judgment was coming because I knew you would forgive him. They'd repent. You'd forgive him. It made him angry. But in the New Testament, I could give you scripture after scripture. You ever read Matthew 18? You ever read what Jesus said would happen? He said, let me tell you how the kingdom of God works. There's somebody who owed $3 million and someone else who owed 20. The man who owed $3 million could not pay the debt, so he comes to his master. The master is God saying, I cannot pay you for what I owe you. The master has mercy upon him, cancels all his debt. The man who owed $3 million has his debt canceled, and Jesus said he goes out and finds the man who owes him $20. He says, pay me what you owe me. He says, I cannot pay you what, you, what I owe you. He says, well, you will go to the torturers until you are able. It says that the people were watching. Those people in Scripture are angels. We're watching. They come back and report to God that who's the master. The guy that you forgave of all this debt went out and found the guy who owed him 20 and held him accountable. And it said that the master, being God, called the servant back in and said, what did you do here? He said, the seed that you gave them will be the same harvest you reap. You will be delivered unto the torturers. That's New Testament, Matthew chapter 18. You ever read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4? There's a guy in the church who, this is what I'm telling you, you ought to read your Bible. He was sleeping with his stepmom. I can't make it up. That's that's Bible. I don't want to go there. Paul went there. And he's like, this is not good. And he said, you have not corrected him. And he said, there's sin running amok. And he said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's like, you have to deal with this. You cannot allow this sin to continue. And he comes to him, he says, I have already delivered him up to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that the end therein, his soul may be saved. First Corinthians chapter four. You ever kept reading in first Corinthians? Uh, It talks about taking the Lord's body and when we take of communion to judge yourself. And he said the reason why many people are sick, weakly, and dying prematurely is that they have not judged themselves. If they would judge themselves, they would not be judged. I was just in Turkey. That's where my last mission trip was. You ever read the book of Revelations? Seven churches there. He writes a letter to seven pastors. You know where all those churches are? Turkey. All seven of those churches in Turkey. You know what he tells each one of those churches? Each one of those pastors? You know what he tells them? Repent. And he says, if you don't, your candlestick will be taken out. Turkey is now 99% Muslim. Those churches, there's not a church. This is not like a doom and gloom message. This is, this is not something where it's like, you know, God is like, you know, please don't. This is God being to us like, please don't. That there is a system that is in the, the earth that whatever a man, Jesus said, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, whatever a man, whatever a man sows is exactly what he'll reap. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto his bosom. That is not a financial verse. That is a life verse. You sow mercy, you reap mercy. You sow judgment, you reap judgment. You sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. Do not be deceived, my dear brethren. Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived, my dear brethren. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. But if he sows to the flesh, of the flesh, he will reap corruption. God will not be mocked. But God will be merciful. And when you come and you realize, I have sowed bad seed, and you come to God and you say, God, in your mercy, I need grace and help. God, I want to relent. I want to quit. I come to you in mercy. I come to you in grace. God is quick in mercy. God is abundant in grace. He accepts Jesus as your sacrifice. And out of that, if you are faithful to confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you, it's just like taking that watermelon seed out of the ground and saying, I, I don't want to reap that. I pull it out. And I, I just have sensed for a while now, like coming into this service, that there were just some people that just needed to relent. I remember a couple of years, I'll close with this. <laughs> Maybe. I'm kidding. I'll close. <laughs> A couple of years ago, well, not a couple of years ago, about a decade ago, man, uh, we were in phase one of Lakeland. Uh, what you see now is phase two and a remodeled phase one. Uh, but we were in phase one, and I was sitting on the front row. I brought in a guest speaker by the name of Terry Law. He's a missionary all over the world. And he got up, and he said, I had a message I was going to preach. But he said, I just feel like I should go in another direction. And he started preaching on this. And he started talking about an exact situation that a person who has not normally attended our church was there sitting right next to me on the front row. I knew it was exactly what they needed to hear. Exactly what he was talking about they needed to hear. And he said prophetically by the Spirit of God, if you don't judge yourself, he said the next decade of your life will be filled with pain. And this is the final warning God has given you before judgment begins. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and I'm like, Father, I know you sent this man all the way here and changed his message for no one else other than the person that is sitting next to me. And I kid you not, on the regular, I weep for them. To this day, on the regular, I weep for them. They didn't do it. The Holy Spirit will come and have Jesus. Peter, listen to me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You're going to have a temptation to deny me. And if you'll listen to me, it'll save you some pain. But if you don't, Peter, pray that you enter not into temptation. Like, pray that you... Peter sleeps. His life goes through all this pain that it never had to go through. 
I remember years ago, I was sitting next to somebody in a car. It was one of those, I don't know if you've been in this relationship, but it's like people want you to be friends, but like you're not really feeling it. Has that ever happened to you? It's like, you should get together with so-and-so, and then you do, and it's like, ah. And I'm, I'm, I'm driving in the car with them, and I can't connect. And while I'm driving, I'm like praying. I'm like, Father, this seems like something everybody wants me to connect with, but I can't connect. And immediately he gives me a word to tell them. And you know what it was? Judge yourself. I'm like, I don't even know them like that. They're, I'm literally in the car because people want me to be friends with them. Like, if I begin this friendship with judge yourself... This is destined to not go the direction everybody wants us to go. So you know what I did? Nothing. About three years later, I went and visited that man in prison. I sat down across from him. And I told him, I need to repent to you. I was just crying. I said, I need to repent to you. I said, do you remember that moment? We were in that car. It was awkward. I said, I got a word. And I knew you were wrestling with this. And the Lord told me to tell you to judge yourself. And you would not be judged. But I said, I was so chicken to say something that I didn't. And he reached across and grabbed my hand and he said, Joel, he said, don't feel bad. He said, for years, for years, I knew that the direction I was going in was not a direction I needed to go in, that I needed to stop I needed to change, but I just kept running over every warning. God in his grace has helped that man rebuild his life. He did repent when consequence came. How many of you know even in consequence you can repent and God can start cleaning it up? I said, how many of you know even in consequence... Even if the only reason why you're repenting is because of the consequence, even in consequence, you can repent and God will help you clean it up because he is rich in mercy. But let's not let it get there, amen? Let's get that seed out of the ground. Let's repent and relent, amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We'll end with song in just a moment where you can practice what we preach. Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you in the name of Jesus. That, Father, we will relent. And we will come to this place where we say, Father, what your Holy Spirit is guiding us in.
we will not keep hardening our hearts and being stubborn against that. Father, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And Father, we just say we give everything to you. That we surrender everything to you. That we place it all at your feet and we place it all at the altar of Jesus. And we thank you, Father. He is our substitute. And while our sin demands consequence, that consequence was paid in Jesus. So we call upon the name of Jesus for mercy and grace and our time of need. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you are quick to mercy, that you are wonderful in loving kindness. And Father, we thank you. Your mercy just washes us clean. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, for so many years, my father would come to me and even my, my family and my mom and just say, the Lord's dealing with me to make changes. It's about how he treated his body and all those things. And he said, the Lord is dealing with me. The Lord is dealing with me. The Lord is dealing with me. At least for a decade. And you've heard me tell the story. He, he bought a treadmill. And he paid me to get on the treadmill and run up the mileage. It's funny now. It's also sad. Uh, but he'd pay me to run up the mileage while my mom would go like to Walmart. And then she'd come back and we'd switch places. And he would get on and put the water on his head. And she'd come back because she wanted to see. Like, how many miles have you done? And then he died at 44 of a heart attack. And I watched all the pain my mom went through. So easily fixed. And somebody says, well, how can that happen to like a, a man who believes in healing? I'll tell you how it happens. You let the Lord deal with you for a decade plus about something. You admit he's dealing with me about this and you do nothing about it. And I don't say that to judge him. There's no one on this earth who loves and honors uh, my father more than I do. I say that because it's the only example I can use that's maybe personal enough to get people's attention. And if my pain leads you and your family from, having, from, from not having some, I'm willing to tell any story I can to save you and your family whatever pain I can keep there. Amen. Whatever the Lord tells us to do, we'll make changes, not excuses. Amen. Whatever he tells why don't you just say that when we say whatever. Whatever, Lord, you tell me to do, I'll make changes not excuses, by your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.